Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today we're speaking with our newest Illustrators of the Future judge, Brittany Jackson, who prefers to be called B. So the rest of this interview, it's B. Jackson. Welcome, B. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I originally met B uh, when she was the grand prize winner for Writers of the Future Volume 24. And I said, now she's our newest judge. She loves telling stories through her art. She attended the College for Creative Studies. She's got 15 years' experience as a freelance illustrator working in a variety of art styles book covers, comics, children's book illustration, magazines, and articles. I was her plus one at NAACP event a few years ago for her illustrated book, Parker Looks Up, which was an amazing honor on her part that she received that, and it was a really cool event. So anyway, welcome, B. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I've been following your career ever since I met you after volume 24 and... and uh, We've been in touch uh, off and on throughout the years, and I've always either emailed or called you. And then when you would, you know, you came out here to illustrate a few of the different stories for recent uh, volumes. And then obviously you invited me to be your, um, I was your escort, so that was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to do in this on this interview is basically introduce you to the uh, listening audience of this on this podcast as our newest judge, but also you've got a, a really amazing story that I think aspiring artists would be interesting in hearing because you weren't born with that silver spoon in your mouth, and um, you definitely got to where you are from hard work, dedication, and not giving up. And I think it's important that other people have to realize that you know you might think you got it rough, but there's no substitute for like persistence and really keeping your eye on that mountain. So um, let's just start with a little bit like, so, so what made you decide you want to become a uh, illustrator as a future judge? When we asked you, it was like an instant, absolutely. So what made you like so enthusiastically respond to that question? Well, I was always inspired by many of the judges and uh, from the first time that I came to the contest. And the many people that I met from the different fields and industries that they were a part of. And uh, I will say from my first time uh, stepping foot here and meeting those people, I felt like I did want to be a part of it. I knew I wasn't ready at the time yeah. <laughs> or whatever, but I was like, uh, in my mind, if I ever had the opportunity, yes, I would take it. And um, every opportunity that I got invited to come back, you know, I was always really excited, and I wanted to be a part of the workshops just to be with the, the new class of winners and and to meet them and to um, – I never had a problem experiencing it all over again and stuff. And it's always been really refreshing for me just um, meeting so many new people that are artists and that are passionate about what they do, which is something that I feel oftentimes starved of at home. Mm -hmm. So – of course, when the opportunity presented itself, the answer was yes. Yeah. <laughs> so now your history as an artist, let's just cover that a little bit, like your your curve as an artist from when you first took that first crayon and wrote on your white wall or whatever it was that you started that your creative juices started exploring. Well, um, this might sound funny, but it, it was actually a sci-fi movie that uh, triggered it for me. So I always did little sketches and, and things like that, but I had saw um, Star Starship Troopers, and uh, that kind of did it for, for me because I was so fascinated by the world. I was so fascinated by the characters. And I remember thinking, like, oh, how cool would it be if there was a, a cool alien girl that was on the planet and she had control of the bugs and stuff? So... What I did was uh, I started to draw these warrior women. And um, when I drew the warrior women, it turned into more warrior women. And I started to write stories about it. And uh, I got into fan fiction. I actually uh, enjoyed writing more than I enjoyed drawing at one point in time. But um, I would draw these characters to complement these stories. And that was kind of the thing that tipped it off. And 
And uh, when it came down to trying to structure writing, that's where I found out I wasn't that good at that. So I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I kinda, I had the ideas, but I, you know, when it came to figuring out how to arrange everything, I just quit from that. And I just went on to drawing more. And um, I would draw more characters and, and uh, for all these stories that I would come up with. And, and that's when I decided that I really love illustrating. How old were you when, when that all happened? Uh, I think I was in elementary school. Okay. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I dated back to always say like third grade because that's what I remember. I don't know how old I was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I would say third grade is when uh, the spark happened for me. So then how did, how did you proceed from there? Uh, well, from there, I would uh, I continued just developing stories and and creating characters up until high school, and then I got my first art teacher, and my art teacher he recognized that I had a talent, and uh, um, even though it was an art class, it wasn't treated as one. I didn't go to a really good high school, and it was really on the downhill side at the time that I was going there. And uh, basically, the art class was the dump-off spot for all the bad kids. And I was like uh, one of the few in there that actually cared about drawing. So um, my teacher saw that, and he was really invested in me. And he would sometimes let me sit in his office and just draw by myself because he knew that if I was at least away from the other students, I would draw. (laughs) So uh, I did that. And... Um, he's the one that introduced me to the idea of going to art college and um, actually getting a formal education uh, at the College for Creative Studies. And he helped me to get scholarships. And one of those, during that search, that's when I was introduced to Illustrators of the Future. So it was basically to help me pay for college that I entered. Mm -hmm. And that was part of uh, uh, something that my teacher really pushed me to do. Are you still in touch with him? Uh, yes, I am. He uh, owns a. Um, he does a few art galleries in the area. Every now and again, I go and I see what works he's doing, and um, he has a whole. He's a part of a really big art community that's in Detroit, and um, that I didn't that I wasn't aware of. Um, of course, the meeting has been kind of the meetings up with the group has been kind of uh, affected by everything that's been going on since 2020. But it was a a whole, they would take over an entire diner. That's how many artists were Mm -hmm. in there. And I'm like, I had no idea that all the artists in the city liked to gather to this event. And he introduced me to that. And um, just staying connected with my old high school teacher still connected me with more people today. Wow. So, yeah. (laughs) So that, I mean, that's amazing. So now... I know that when you won your $5,000 prize, you got as the grand prize winner, helped with your school tuition fees. And so that was, that was a good thing. But um, I know that it w- it's not been an easy road for you to, uh, to hoe to make it up to um, where you are right now. And it's not an uncommon thing that artists have because artists are a lot of times challenged with invalidation and, and unfair criticism it's not the profession of choice from a parent looking at their, at their child becoming an artist. You know, why don't you get something that's going to be a guaranteed stable income? You know, get a nine to five and various things which they'll feel more comfortable with. But as an artist, you're not comfortable with it all. So talk about that if you can, please. Uh, yes, I dealt with that a, a, a little bit from my time at home. My mother, she's always been very supportive of my artwork, but you know, anytime I reached a struggling period, she you know, tell me like, hey, why don't you get a regular job? <laughs> so, but, um, but I preferred jobs that allowed me to still work. So for a period of time while I was in college, I was actually uh, doing college and working, but the type of job that I would always get was uh, work at home jobs. Um, so I would be a phone agent uh, doing customer service from home, and usually while I was working on the phone, managing like customers and stuff like that, I would be drawing. <laughs> so I was like, I could do two things at once. So I, I got really good at multitasking and uh, being able to draw like even while I'm doing something else and. Uh, 
that's how I got by. That's how I was able to manage to still kind of get my ideas out there and make money, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't making money off the artwork. Yeah. So <laughs> I did that for a while. And unfortunately, I was not able to finish uh, college. I was able to get through uh, about two, two and a half years. And I had to leave because the, the cost of tuition was just very high. And my mother couldn't support me anymore, and it was all on me, and I couldn't, I couldn't pay it all myself. So I had got some advice from someone that I knew, and they just told me to just go for it, like that I didn't have to get a degree in order to make it as an artist. So she didn't discourage me from pursuing my dreams. She basically said, you don't need this in order to succeed. And... Uh, so I took that advice, mostly because I didn't really have a choice to, <laughs> and I just jumped into doing art uh, more and more. And as I continued to do the phone jobs, I continued to get more work, and eventually my work was enough for me. I was making enough uh, doing artwork where I was able to let the phone job go. Uh, but it was a leap of faith, and it was mostly because the company that I was working for left. And I was like, well, if they're leaving, maybe it's just my time to go and just try to see if this works out. And uh, hopefully I won't have to get a regular job anymore and I could just work as a full-time artist. And um, that leap of faith, I'm I'm still working as a full-time artist. I haven't had to go back. But um, believe me when I say I still have my login and like all my (laughs) assets there. So like if I hit a rough patch, I could always... You know, I always have a backup plan of, for how I can, you know, maintain and keep things going if I did hit, you know, a rough patch. But now you've been, I mean, you've been, as I track your career, you know, uh, it, it would appear this rough patch that you're alluding to uh, is getting further and further in the distant past. And the amount of work that you're getting and not even be able to keep up with all the, the jobs that you're being offered, it would seem to be more and more like you're overcoming those, those barriers to be able to survive as an artist. So how have you been able to do that? What, what's some of the things that have taken it from where you've been able to progress from being doing your, your art in between the, the phone calls to actually now just saying, I've got these jobs. I mean, you did that Parker Looks Up, which is an amazing project, you know, um, New York Times bestseller. I think you've got another book to hit the New York Times. And uh, you've got these mega projects now. Um, you talked a bit of, at the beginning of this about networking. And so is that a part of this that's made this work or how's this fit? Uh, yes, networking has been a huge thing for me. And um, whenever I work with people, a lot of times I, I give part of myself or like, I, like I've um, participating in, participated in different workshops and, and things like that where um, people ask me to talk. And, you know, I, I personally don't feel like I have a lot of experience with that, but they're interested in hearing what I have to say. So I'll do it. And... Um, you know, I just try to be as personable as I can and, you know, appreciative of what they're doing as I can. And uh, just being humble has really opened a lot of doors for me because I don't present myself in such a way where, you know, I'm above anyone or anything like uh-huh. that. I like being on the ground level with people and I like, you know, the the simpler things. And I feel like that allows me to connect with people a lot more. And it's those connections that have led those people to reach out back to me, like sometimes with opportunities or if they saw that I meet that I had a need, they put me in a position to meet it. And um, the wonderful thing about Parker Looks Up is that that was a turning point for me. I'd never had an opportunity that was that big. And uh, the working relationship that I had with the editor was so good that she recommended me to an agency personally. Uh, she saw a need and she was trying to help me with that need. And um, in her opening that door, I, I received representation and that was a game changer for me because I was able to negotiate things in a way that worked in my favor that I feel works best for me. 
And I would recommend that anybody who's looking into having an agency or representation uh, do that. But what she, what my agent did was that she took a lot of, she takes a lot of weight off of my shoulders where I can just focus on what I'm best at and that's drawing. She takes care of contracts, paperwork, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. If there's a problem, she's there to fix it and stuff. She makes my job so much easier. And uh, I didn't realize how much those things was take, how much time those things were taking up. And uh, by also having her in my corner, she's able to see, catch things that I'm not able to catch or uh, just make sure that I get, that I'm compensated for, for my worth. And uh, that's changed a lot for me. And I think that's the defining factor that pretty much took me from where I was to where I am right now, where I have all these opportunities. And I feel like I'm on a different playing field right now where I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. And I, I just try to never forget where I came from and just try to keep an eye on like where I'm going. And like even if there are times when I feel like I have to go back to the basis, basics or, or innovate just to keep up with things, it's a process. And I'm learning and I'm growing every every day. Right. It. Now today, when you're teaching the uh, the workshop to this year's, uh, or actually the last two years' winners, because it's a double year this year, I saw this amazing Christmas ornaments and decorations and paper, and it's just you know Christmas decorations by B. Jackson. Like that was with Target, right? Yes. How that that was that was just amazing <laughs> seeing the whole splash on. This is your. Christmas decorations, the boxes and everything else by B. Jackson. Yes, and that was a really awesome opportunity. I got to speak with the team and and uh, the creative team, and they were very accommodating for me. Because for me personally, if I haven't done a particular job in before, like I'll just tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was uh, when I got the opportunity, they had reached out to me and said that they would be that they like my style uh, and that they will be interested in working with me. So my agent negotiated things. We had a few meetings, and and um, they were very accommodating. And I, you know, I remember talking about how you know I haven't done product design, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not sure how to approach it because, like, I'm a children's book illustrator mostly at this point. So I'm like, well, you know, I can just try to adjust to like what I need to do in order to have my work fit. But uh, they were very open, and it was just like, we want to see what you make. And I have never had an opportunity like that where I could just make what I wanted to make. They gave me that much freedom. And I was like, can I, uh, can I just do a character? Like, even though you can't, like, even though I haven't seen, like, characters like that uh, presented in such a way, it was like, yeah, go for it. So I did, and I did, like, a character that's kind of, like, loosely based off of my childhood and like different experiences that I had, and basically the theme of the the theme of the um, of the set is what Christmas means to me. So I drew upon memories of Christmases that I've had, like traditions that my family has, and uh, it was an effort to kind of reach out and show Christmas in the perspective of real people. So it was uh, two other artists that were uh, connected as well. And you get to see Christmas through their eyes and you get to see Christmas through my eyes as well. And uh, mine just happened to be a little bit more traditional. And um, I was talking about each each illustration has a story behind it. So I was like, if it could have been a book, <laughs> you know, yeah. it probably would have made it as one. But you know, I have the one with the little girl with the with the scarves and the gloves and the hats, and it's because I really love I really love those things. <laughs> well, that was Detroit. You had that yeah. was what was Detroit also on Christmas. Yes, and I really love it when it's like when it's uh, homemade. We have a lot of knitters in my family, and and they would knit like scarves and hats and. And those those items were very personal to me. Like I'll hang on to something as long as it holds itself to, up together. Mm-hmm. So so um, that was really personal. And then you have the one with all the cookies and the and the cakes and stuff like that. It's because my mom makes these huge spreads with sweets and stuff that she only makes like one or two times a year, and that's like for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, 
just like these little memories and stuff of me like going through the box and getting the decorations out and and um and you know the just sitting by the tree after you know you've opened up all your presents and you kind of relax after being anxious about what you got all year so I was able to tell those stories through my illustrations and they were really excited about it and I was really happy I was like you know what a blessing that is to be able to have an opportunity to 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 do work like that and to be compensated for it and uh, to have people be interested in, in in knowing what your story is and you know I'm I'm forever grateful for that opportunity that they reached out to me with. Mm-hmm. So now as an artist, I'm going to take the the highs and the lows because this is again I'm trying to make a point of reality for other artists too that it's you know you've got. There's something that, that drives you through the lows and pulls you to the highs. So were there any points where you were like ready to throw in the towel as an artist? Well, for me, never, personally, because I kind of knew what I was getting into from, from the start. That's great to know. I mean, growing up, I was always told, uh, you're going to be starving as an artist, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, if you want to make money, you better choose another career. And I was like, I really don't care about that. I just like to draw, you know. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that's pretty much what it was, and it didn't matter. Like, like again, I was working as a phone agent and still drawing. You know, I didn't have to. I was making money doing something else, but I was still doing what I love to do. And it's just a, it's a form of, um, it's a form of self-expression for me. To be able to, it's, it's, it's something that comes with being able to put a put a, the pen to the paper and just let your mind go and just see what comes out onto it. And I don't think that's worth, uh, I, don't, I don't think anything could take that away from me, take that joy away from me. And uh, even if it wasn't, even if I wasn't making like a whole lot of money on it, I s- still love it so much. Mm-hmm. And I never thought, not even once about giving it up. I just work and still do it. <laughs> so that's, that's good. That's interesting you say that because I've talked to a lot of writers and a lot of illustrators, and that's one common thread to someone who's like, like the the ink is coursing through your veins. You don't have blood. You've got like, you know, the the oils and the pastels and the and the ink flowing through there. It's just it's just so much a part of you that you couldn't you couldn't imagine living life without being able to do that. Yes. It doesn't mean that you've made it yet, but it just means that that's that underlying, that through line through your life of of art. It's that important to you, no matter what. Yes. Yes, it is. Now, do you, have you found that, like, through dark times in your life, just whatever personal troubles or turmoils, that the art has been also your um, lifeline to to pull you through and keep on pulling you along? Uh, yes, uh, art is very therapeutic for me, and I mean, there's a lot of art that I haven't shared, like uh, my personal work, you know, uh, where I've taken dark ideas or uh, dreams that I've had and I've drawn them out. Um, I have very vivid dreams and um, experiences that I've had that I've that I've tried to translate into a drawing. And um, it doesn't matter, like with with things like that, it doesn't matter about sharing them or not. Like sometimes eventually I'll, like if I feel like coming back to something and putting more time into it, I'll share it. But it's a lot of things that I just, uh, that I do in private and and just just express myself in that way. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to go to everybody else, but it it helps me to just calm down and and reflect. And like, it's just a hard it's just hard to be to describe the feeling that I get from that. It just brings me peace and calm, mm-hmm. and I'm able to think with a clear mind when I'm able to just draw. And sometimes I'll be drawing, like, all through the night. Like, even though I'm tired, I can't stop. And this is stuff that I won't even share with anybody. So it's, it's personal for me like that. And I love that. I love drawing and art as a form of communication. Right. Even this, even if it's just to myself, because I can always look back on those old drawings and be like, I know what I was going through when I went there. I know what I was feeling. I know what this picture means. And if I decide to revisit it, and I'm like, this one I could actually use to tell a story with, 
once I feel stronger, strong enough to tell that story. So I have a wealth of things that I could pull from just from experiences and memories. And, and uh, it's, it's a lot that I could draw upon with that, I would say. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, just the subject of illustration as compared to, you know, fine art. Illustration tells a story, and one thing that your pictures do is they tell stories. You're really good at that. I mean, Parker Lookup was just, that was, that was easy. That was a no-brainer to see that. It was just, and it's no, it's no wonder that you were a New York Times bestseller with that, and people wanted to, to have a, own a piece of, of, of B <laughs> for future <laughs> projects. That's but awesome. um, on, on doing art, now you start off, you, were, like you said you like, you like drawing, but that's a very general term. So in terms of what you do, like you've got your preferred um, methods of, of drawing. Is it like pencil or is it ink or is it Photoshop or is it vector art or is it oil? And, and what do you like to do or is it a little bit of everything or is, how is it, how is that grown? How's that tree of, of art grown for you? Well, I do mostly digital artwork and we're working through Photoshop. I have experience um, with using color pencils and markers, but I don't usually use it if I don't have to because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll probably have to buy new stuff. All my stuff's old now. I was doing so much digital artwork. <laughs> so, but, um, but so I started off doing digital uh, because, we, like, when I was growing up, I didn't have access to um, – art stores and things like that. It's basically whatever was in the house is what I worked with. Mm-hmm. So we had printer paper and line paper and pencils. So I would work with that for the most part and maybe some basic crayons. And then uh, I got into comic books and I saw that, like, in order, I saw that the way that they colored with comic books, they used the computer. So I was like, well, if I want to be a comic artist, I got to color with the computer. So I started off um, working with a mouse and MS Paint, and <laughs> that's pretty much how I got started. And then we had some weird uh, photo editing version of um, Adobe. It wasn't Photoshop. I don't remember what it was called. It might have been Elements, but like a really, really early version of Elements. And uh, I would scan in little drawings that I did and just try to color them in elements. That's uh, after MS Paint. So, so, <laughs> so I would do that. And uh, then technology advanced, and then I found out about Wacom. So I got my first Wacom tablet in high school. And by then, my wrist was pretty tired, like <laughs> after trying to work with a mouse for so long. But I would do these elaborate illustrations just using the mouse. Wow. And, uh, and uh, then I found out about Wacom, the uh, pen tablet. And that was a game changer for me. So I was kind of there like when the technology started to come out. So you went from Wacom tablets where you draw on the little uh, tablet pads. I would wear those out like once a year. Like once a year, I'd need a new one. And then... Uh, they advanced to with where you could actually draw directly on the screens. So I had to transition so far about three times, one from working with a mouse, one from working with a traditional tablet, and uh, then going into working directly on the screen. And what I love about drawing directly on the screen with the, I, I use a Surface Pro, but even iPad, is that it, I think it brings digital artists closer to a traditional feel. Because you're you're using your hand as the way you would a normal pen, but you still have like all the shortcuts and things like that. And it's always funny just trying to go back to doing anything traditional because you realize really quick you don't have a, a undo button. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a, it's a it's an experience and stuff, and you realize that like digital allows you to make a lot of mistakes and fix those mistakes, whereas traditional doesn't allow you to do that. Uh, so much traditional is very unforgiving in that sense, mm-hmm. but because of that, I respect artists all the more who's who are able to do it. I just wasn't in a position when I was younger to do that, and I got into digital before it was actually really accepted as an art form, like that. Right. Yeah, I saw recently uh, an image from Craig Elliott, one of our another um, illustrators, featured judges, where he was doing his Photoshop, but he was doing 
oil brush as as the format he was doing with with Photoshop, and he was saying, "What? How does this look to you?" And so with Photoshop, you can do you can kind of emulate any type of of art now with it. Uh, yes, and what's really cool is that you don't have to uh, ship it through the mail. You know, <laughs> if you have a client and uh, you want to keep them aware of what you're doing and things like that, you can give them access to the files. You can put it in layers and be able to move things around. So it's it's uh, it's really become a, a more widely accepted art form because of the versatility of it. And it takes out a lot of, uh, of, of, of the challenges that come with um, doing traditional artwork, like especially in the client, in, in the sense of you doing client work for different art fields because you don't have to ship anything. You don't have to worry about the painting getting damaged. You can do it in such a way where you can scale it up or scale it down, break it up so that people can compartmentalize the illustration in all these different ways for promotional material. Uh, it's a lot of flexibility with it, but 100% respect for the traditional artists because that is a skill and I have nothing but respect for them. Yeah. <laughs> Now, when you do when you do art, like when I've talked with, um, I recently interviewed Dan Dos Santos, and he starts off he does his sketches, which are pretty exacting, and then from there he goes, he does oil, you know, so he goes in for painting. So when you do your work, do you start off with a sketch, or do you just how, how does that work with how you create your art? And then at what point, because you were talking about earlier about sometimes you'll just take a, a rough sketch and send that out, and you get a lot of of interest off of that and work off of just your sketches without having to be final. Uh, yes, and the reason why I do that is because I, I don't have a lot of time to do personal work. Uh, so a lot of my time, like any time I have an opportunity to do personal work, I just, I, I don't have the time to polish it out as much as I would like to. Uh -huh. But at the same time, I do like being rough with it. I, you know, I could, uh, there's a lot of expression ex expression that you can get out into rough drawings when you just let it be and mm -hmm. you don't erase your lines or erase your brush strokes and you just let you know let people see all those rough marks i find a lot of people really like that and uh but usually when it comes to drawing uh doing personal stuff i pretty much just jump right into it i use mostly color and i like i'll lay down some colors and do a quick sketch on top of that and just rough paint so um, but like a lot of times I'll gather references, I'll put the references off to the side and just see what comes out of it. And, um, I give myself a time limit, uh, because again, I don't have a lot of time to work. So I'm like, well, I have about an hour and I'll see what comes out and post it anyway. So, <laughs> because uh, I could be a bit of a perfectionist. If I didn't do that, you probably wouldn't see any of my work, any of my <laughs> personal work. So I'm like, I have to allow myself to just let things go and post it anyway without being so hard on myself because I don't have the time to finish. I'm like, if this is the only way that people are going to see my uh, my personal ideas, then then it's just going to be rough. So now when you say rough, because I was looking at some of the stuff you're showing, and you called it rough. I like, that was way cool, <laughs> you know. So let's distinguish it. Like, what is what do you mean when you say rough? Because it looked like because of the way it was communicating, it looked like realism. It, did, it, it wasn't like a photo. It wasn't photorealistic, but it was emotion and visceral, and it was um, it, it conveyed what the scene was or what you're trying to communicate as your quote unquote rough. Well, it's just like for me, it's my rough is maybe like not as polished. Like if you look in, you can see more of my sketch lines. It, you know. You can see I just, you know, patch things together here and there. Like if you zoom in on some things, you probably pick up those little details. It, like it might be a flower and it's just like a few splotches of white. And I'm like, I want to actually draw a flower, yeah. but like I don't have the time to draw a flower. So it'll be stuff like that. I think I'm more aware of it than what other people are because they're just seeing the one thing. They don't see like the vision that I have in my mind. Uh -huh. But what I'm trying to do is embrace that roughness and just probably get better at it 
so that I can communicate more through that style and and in doing so allow my rough style to be more accepted and appreciated so that I can get more work where I don't have to be as polished because uh, I get some work where you know I'll try to be more rough where you kind of see all those brush strokes and things like that and they'll tell me to fade it out you know so it's kind of like that in between where like to some people it might appear unfinished you know so but I do want to make my like more looser style more accepted and uh, more sought after if I can because I, I have the most fun doing that and I feel like I I don't put as much pressure on myself when I let myself kind of uh, just let my hand do what it wants to do. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Now like because you got like Rob Pryor, so he's got that that drip style that he does. And it's just it's just brilliant, and it definitely doesn't look like it's it's drip. You know, the the paint runs. He uses a lot of water, and yeah. and with his he mixes his his acrylics with with water, and so he gets that running. Up, but that's by by plan, and so it's a very definite Rob Pryor painting when you see that. Are you? Because it seems like you've got your own style that you're building. Like this is very much this is a B Jackson piece of art you know where it's it looks different but it looks b jackson yes and it's it's a building process you know because i've worked in a lot of different styles because of i i was basically taking a lot of different jobs and when you work in so many style different styles it's hard to identify what's yours Mm -hmm. so you know i would struggle like as a younger artist, I would struggle with all the artists that I admired. Like, oh, I want to draw more like them, or I want to draw more like this person. And I, at a certain point, I was like, well, what? Do, where does my own style come in? And what do I like to do? And you know, it's it's a slow process where I've kind of been discovering that. And when I get to do my personal artwork, I don't have to worry about it being some someone asking me to like fade out details that I really wanted to keep in there and just accepting my style for how it is. And it's kind of hard because you can, like I can deal with that self-consciousness where I'm not sure of myself. And by letting go, I'm slowly seeing my own style emerge. Yeah. And uh, so that's pretty much what I'm going through. And I just want to be able to work in the style that I have the most fun doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that takes time to build that. So sure. that's pretty much where I am with it. Got it. Now, you've been doing um, freelance for like 15 years, is yes. what, what, what your bio says. And now, as an, as an artist, how much are you able to do? Is everything you do commission that you, that you make money on, or do you do your own your own projects and sell that as well? Well, most of my work is by commission right now since that's that's what I have, that's where most of my time is going. Um, I don't currently sell any of my personal work, but that's something that I'm uh, trying to learn about. And uh, I've been positioning myself where I've retrained myself to kind of draw within certain frame sizes and and things like that and the paint with colors that are print friendly so i'm gradually like working up to that it's just like finding a good printer and and uh that's able to get the look off that i really want to have i really want to do embellishments with my prints and i just haven't been happy with what i found yet Mm-hmm. Um, but I want gold on my prints. I want like all those little embellishments and stuff. Sparkles. Those are types of, yeah, I love sparkles. <laughs> I love gold. <laughs> I love things that, that pop in the light. So, uh, cause those are the types of prints that I collect. Uh-huh. And I'm my, like, my room is full of other artist stuff of artists that I admire who like, I really like the way that they do their prints and they're able to put holographic details on their work and, I want to be able to do that uh, with my own. Um, so I have to, right now I'm building up a little catalog of pieces that I want to sell. And it's mostly pieces that when I was able to go to conventions, I was able to see like, okay, this one sold really well or or, or this one um, got a lot of attention. 
than that one. So I kind of gauge which ones I should go with prints for. Right. So I've been gauging that, and if certain pieces don't perform well, I'm like, well, I'll put that off to the back burner, see what I need to do to fix it up and uh, to make it um, get more attention. So, like, I would do prints. Like, I, I did, like, a few little random shows where I did some prints and just saw which ones sold. And then I took those prints and was like, okay, these are the ones I can work with for now and, like, see how I can embellish them. And at the time, like, I only did the one show at the time. I didn't have, I only had, like, the ones that I printed, and I had some gold paint. So I sat at my booth, and I painted the embellishments on there. <laughs> so I'm like, this takes a long time. So I just got to find the right way of going about it. Right. But, yeah. Okay. So now... When you entered the, the Illustrators of the Future contest, and I'd like to just address for the aspiring artist just the value of what was created by Mr. Hubbard when he, when he launched this contest originally, what it's meant to you, and what it can mean to other aspiring artists as well. Now, you did the workshop initially. You've been out a couple times since then um, as a guest artist for pieces in, the, in, the, in our books, and now as a judge. First of all, any comments about Mr. Hubbard's philosophy for art or any of some of his writings on art? Well, what stood out to me the most, of, and this is what I remember from uh, my original year, is that he taught that artist about communication and the importance between the relationship of, uh, uh, of the artist and the writer. And uh, really talked about fostering that relationship of communication. And uh, uh, I would say that really helped me in understanding what my role as an artist is mm -hmm. when it comes to when it when it comes to doing illustrations for someone else. Like it's about communicating their vision. It's not always about my vision. And um, that's really helped me to try to understand. So I, like I would ask, uh, engaging questions to just try to get an understanding of what it is a, a person is looking for because I'm really invested in, com in in communicating their idea. Mm -hmm. Like I could use my talent and what I've learned, but it's really about communicating what their story is trying to tell. And that's right. what's he most actually important. even he even defines that art as the quality of communication. Yeah. So, you know, and like I said, your 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 images so communicate, you know, just Parker, you see that little girl looking up the huge picture <laughs> of, of um, the first lady. And it's just like, wow, you just, you really see it. Just that quality of communication just really shines. And then the rest of the book, obviously. Um, yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So now with, with respect to why should somebody, not just because they're going to potentially win $5,000, but what's the value of entering a contest and, and, getting an honorable mention or um, being told submit again, even if, you know, they didn't even get an honorable mention. What's, what's the value of that for an artist from yourself having gone through it? Well, for myself, I was just grateful to be a part of the experience and to meet um, other artists. Like uh, I was actually asked about this um, today about how I felt when I, when, when it was my year and I honestly didn't think I was going to win because I like I thought that all the other artists was their art was amazing, you know, and uh, I was like, well, whoever's got it, they're lucky. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was just glad to be here and uh, just to meet all these wonderful people and um, just just making those connections and. Of course, when I when I uh, found out that I was <laughs> I was a winner, there was a lot of excitement, but they were really happy for me too, you know. And 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 uh, they you know they hugged me and everything like that. And I was like, I didn't expect it, you know. <laughs> but they were really supportive, and I felt like for the first time I was around a lot of like-minded people who shared a passion for the arts as I do because. Uh, where I grew up, it was kind of like a desert for, for that stuff, and it, it still kind of is. Of course, I've been getting more uh, connected with more people, and every time that I've come, like even though I'm not, even just as a spectator, I would say, from some of the past times that I, that I had come, I would meet all these different artists, and they would recommend different things that they've done or groups that they were a part of and that I became a part of. 
And I love following them and seeing where their careers where their careers go and like meeting up with someone like mm-hmm. they're close enough to me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we'll try to meet up. And I've always left just feeling inspired. Like uh, my last time here, I was so inspired by the group that I went on um, meetup.com and I found like a local sketch group. And I joined it. And it was like uh, they would meet up. They would take over a cafe every Wednesday uh, for a couple of hours. I think it was like from from 5 to 8. And we would just fill up this cafe. And it was like all these people from like around, like local. And we would just draw, like draw and chat and order coffee and hot cocos and, <laughs> and stuff. And I just kept going. And at first I was nervous and stuff, you know, because new people. But I kept going and kept going. And they became like a little family. And it was because I was inspired by the people that I met here. You know, I was like, I just want that again, you know. Mm-hmm. So, of course, uh, the pandemic kind of changed that, you know. Mm-hmm. But during the summer, like a lot of them would get together at parks. It was like, we'll still get together. We're just going to have to be outside. Yeah. You know, so that was really wonderful. And that's that's what I've gotten out of it. And, uh, you know, it, it that winning wasn't as important to me as the as the connections I would make and I feel like um what I what I find about this contest is this very unique is that it doesn't feel competitive like even though it kind of you know in a sense it is it didn't feel that way because it's the only contest where I actually got to meet like uh, the other artists in person and spend a week with them mm-hmm. and by that time you're like friends you know, you're friends with them and you don't see them as somebody that you're, you know, competing against. At least in my perspective, they sure. didn't feel that way. And uh, that's what made it really special. Whereas, like, you can go to other contests, the only time you'll see the other artists, if at all, is like once the reveal is done and you don't have any connections. You haven't spent time with them. You haven't stayed up all night, like, in the lobby, like, talking with them. And, mm-hmm. And uh, finding out what they're into. And I think that's really beautiful. And uh, that's really why I love coming back is just having those experiences. Good. Now, for people who don't know, the illustrators of the feature contest, you can, is submitting three pieces of art. It's, uh, it's speculative. It's fantasy or science fiction. You upload it on, you go to writersofthefeature.com, and there's a submit to the illustrator contest. You Three pieces of art. You don't have your name on it because it's anonymous judged. So the judges, all they're going to see is three pieces of art and a number. So they don't know anything about you other than your art. It doesn't. We have people from all over the world. Unfortunately, this year, because of the pandemic, uh, the people from outside of the country are unable to come in. So we've got uh, judges from outside of the United States that can't travel. We've had various winners. Um, we have one uh, from Portugal. We've had some from UK. We've got... Fortunately, the winner from Iraq, I mean, from um, Turkey, is now a college student here in in California, so she's able to uh, attend. But we've got uh, two winners uh, from Iran. One's living in, I think, Japan right now. The other one's in Iran. They can't make it. We've got a winner from South Africa who can't come. We've got Australia. So next year they'll be coming out, but it's it's open to anyone because the illustrator contest isn't language-based. You know, so that's one thing that's really good about it. So we have people from all throughout Europe and, and Asia as winners. They're able to come. So it's free to enter. It's judged, again, anonymously by the, by the judges. And because there's no names attached to it, it levels the playing field. It's only your art that's going to cause you to win or not. It has nothing to do with your personality, your nationality, your ethnic, your age, your sex, nothing. It's only the quality of your art, which also makes a big difference for this contest. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in terms of an artist submitting to to the contest, now when you were when you were submitting, had you looked to see what was already the art that was that was winning in the books? Did you have that, or you just submitted art because they said submit art? Uh, I don't recall having access to past winners, uh-huh. or like if I did. Um, it was very minimal. I don't think it was a lot that was on the website at that time. Right. 
It was back when everything was still black and white. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't a lot. So I, I felt like I was like, I, you know, I don't know, you know, to what level I should be presenting my artwork or how, how grand to go with it. So that was a challenge for me, actually. So I was just like, well, you know, I'll just see how it comes out. <laughs> you know, I'll yeah. try to um, do what I can. You know, I, I don't think it was just a lot of access to a lot of that stuff on the Internet at the time. Right. And I didn't have any of the previous books either to go off of. Yeah, now it is. It, I mean, you can submit black and white, but it's also a lot of color. But it's made to, you can, you can actually upload the files. And all the directions, are, you know, on how to do that are on the website. So you know what size of file to be able to send and how to format it. You know, not to exceed a certain size of JPEG or TIFF um, that you're going to submit. Yeah, so we've got, you know, you can definitely submit black and white or color. And then the three... Every quarter, three people will win the contest, and then over the course of the year, there'll be twelve winners, three people every four every quarter, and then the winners are given each a winning story from the writer contest, and that's what you're commissioned to actually illustrate. And now Echo Chernick, as the coordinating judge, actually art directs um, the artists on doing the stuff. Um, which has made a really good difference. I mean, she's she's a brilliant art director herself, and her husband, who's that's his living, is as art director. You know, worked with her on that stuff. So, what recommendations or tips do you have for artists in terms of submitting and entering to the contest? Hmm, for submitting and entering. I would say don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> mm. I mean, it could feel a bit intimidating. Uh, I felt a bit a bit intimidated, but I still intimidated. But I entered anyway. I, I debated if I should, if I if my work was good enough. But I entered anyway, and I mean, nothing, no harm can come in in entering and just seeing you know how things play out. If you have ideas and and you want to share them, I would say go go for it. There's nothing to lose, really. That's right. Um, and in my personal experience, and if it doesn't uh, go through one year, just enter again the next year. And it, like as you're doing that, you're building an awesome portfolio. Yeah, so. it's interesting. Um, Craig Elliott, who when I did his podcast interview, he was the uh, director of animation for Netflix, and now he's back over with uh, Disney. He never entered the contest because he didn't think he was good enough. And um, he read every book starting with volume one, and he was absolutely fascinated with the art. But he's, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And it was, I was just like, you're kidding me. You know, he's a brilliant artist and animator, and his, his creative design and what so many different Disney movies that you see and animated stories from Netflix, that's his creative genius behind it. And he didn't submit because he didn't think he was good enough. So I think one message I really want to be able to stress is that you're probably the worst one to decide that you're good enough because you're the hardest person on yourself. You're your own worst yeah. critic. And you see every little thing, a missed brush stroke, a missed petal on your flower, you know, <laughs> whereas maybe nobody else is going to see that because they don't, you know, they're looking at the whole message of your, of your art. So submit it. Worst case scenario, all the judges have is a number. You know, the only people that are going to see the names on the judges is the winners. So you get a, you'll get a, a, a communication back from the contest director and what she's going to say, thank you very much for submitting. Please submit again. And that's the worst that's going to happen. You're not going to get any judging. Nobody's going to, in fact, on the Writers of the Future site, on the forum that we've got, on anything connected with the Writers of the Future, if someone comes in and starts harassing, haranguing, judging negatively, they're banned from the site. If this is so not what we're about. You know, Mr. Hubbard, when he created this contest, was to be able to encourage the arts, encourage illustration, writing. He experienced that from the 30s and 40s, that there's a very definite symbiotic relationship between the artist and the, uh, and the writer, which you talked about a little bit earlier just now. So if, I think it's really important that people understand that if you don't submit, you'll never know. You know, you, know, you can't win if you don't submit. And it's just, it's just that simple. You've got to be able to do that. And even if you don't have confidence in yourself, 
Wait to see what it's like when you get a, a response back from the contest. Even if it's just saying, thank you very much for entering, resubmit. Um, that would be one of the nicest communications possibly you've had with regards to your art. There, yeah. yeah. There's people that, that aren't. Now, what have you experienced in terms of, of I'll use this in quotes, hand quotes here, you know, uh, well-intentioned critics, you know, um, who, you know, are the first ones to say, ah, don't give up your day job, you know, with that little wicked smile, you know. <laughs> so what's your experience with that? Um, I don't have a lot of it, but when I've had it, I was like, well, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, one thing about when I was at college, they taught uh, us how to accept criticism. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that's a skill that a lot of artists needs to have. And just that's try right. not to take things too personal. Like uh, my one instructor, like I'll never forget the stuff that she <laughs> used to say. She was like, why are you wasting paper in my class? Like if you <laughs> if you drew something and she didn't like it. But, you know, that little, like her uh, critiques, though harsh, it kind of um, gave us tough skin. You know, and of course you would get frustrated. I, I know a lot of students who got frustrated and wanted to quit, but they also wanted to show her otherwise. Sure. <laughs> so they put in the work, and it's nothing like having her. It was nothing like having her come back and say, "This is pretty all right." You know, <laughs> it's not awesome. It's not great, but it's all right. And if you can learn how to take criticism on the chin, you know, like that. Um, that's very freeing. Like I appreciate constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. And I'm very open to it. And uh, like even when I'm doing work for work for uh, for hire, you know, I, I tell the people that I'm working with, you know, let me know if I did something wrong. You know, it's my job to do it right or to do my best to get the get it the way that you want it to be. So don't be afraid to tell me that, because um, what I found is that um, some people uh, approach artists kind of like they're walking on eggshells and I, I've gotten that impression from people because they don't want to hurt my feelings uh-huh. and uh, I'm like it's a job you know <laughs> <laughs> you know just tell me what I need to do you don't have to hurt my feelings to do that but like when it comes to people that are just you know just in the business to just try to make your day terrible uh, to them I say well you know it sucks to be you you know <laughs> that you have to deal I'm like you have to live it yourself I don't yeah you know so I just pretty much uh, go on about my day and just try not to let things like that affect me it's like that's not going to stop me from doing what I like to do you know if you want to make me feel bad about it that's your problem mm-hmm. you know so yeah. <laughs> so I disconnect myself from stuff like that I, I you know I, I don't have time for for stuff like that well, that's good. That's that's, and that's an amazing skill that you've got that you can do that because I know a lot of people that don't know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So in terms of, um, we're about ready to wrap up here. Any um, special advice or tip that you'd have, like as, uh, like a senior piece of advice that you you'd offer to an aspiring illustrator? Uh, well, I'm gonna say something uh, probably really corny, but. Uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> so, you know, just old sayings like that. Um, and it's true. Like, if you don't take the shot, then you, you'll never get anywhere. And uh, that's speaking from the perspective of, you know, I, I let a, pe- a lot of people know uh, that I'm in it, that I am an introvert. I spend most of my time alone in my room drawing. I don't talk to people <laughs> too much unless I'm asked to. Uh-huh. So, you know, Anytime that I'm talking with somebody, I'm a bit out of my comfort zone. But I do it anyway because, again, in order to um, advance or or make moves, you have to allow yourself to be in uncomfortable positions. And you have to just work through it. And that's pretty much what I do whenever I'm talking with somebody, like even now. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to have to deal with the butterflies for, you know, for a little while. And... uh, you know, I take those shots and I put myself in those uncomfortable positions, uh, knowing knowing that, and just you know work through it, and just see, just try to see what comes out of it. Right. And um, as uh, cliche as that advice is, it's true. That's so, absolutely true. It's absolutely so, yeah. true. <laughs> and you definitely can't win the contest if you don't submit. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, this has been great speaking with you, and. Um, I appreciate it. I think a lot of other people will be appreciative of this of this interview as well. 
And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. It's also been globally syndicated on the United Public Radio Network. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, B. Thank you for having me.